The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence if investing. Calls are pre-screened and the show was pre-recorded earlier this week. Rick is with Edelman Financial Engines, a part of Financial Engines Advisors, LLC, and the investment advisor that furnishes this program. Barron's ranks financial advisory firms based on assets managed, team size, experience, and regulatory record. Firms self-nominate. Investment returns and experience are not considered. Advisors in the Hall of Fame have been in the top 100 for 10 plus years. Future performance is not guaranteed. This is the Rick Edelman Show. Barron's ranks Edelman Financial Engines the number one independent investment advisor in the country. And Rick is in the Barron's Financial Advisor Hall of Fame. Now, here's Rick Edelman. Welcome to the Rick Edelman Show. I hope you're having a wonderful weekend during this summertime and that your family and yourself are safe uh, from the resurgence of COVID lately. We have not talked on this uh, radio show in the past several weeks, uh, maybe a month or so, uh, about the world of investing. What's happening on Wall Street lately and, and what are the investment opportunities and risks? What are you thinking about? What's going on? Are you getting a little trepidatious or are you still terribly excited about the fact that the stock market has recently hit, again, all-time highs. There is a lot going on. I want to give you a couple of big-picture conversations about this, some observations that you may not have paid much attention to. Number one is the fact that so far this year, investors have deposited $500 billion into ETFs, exchange-traded funds. That's a record. Exchange-traded funds now hold $6.6 trillion, making them clearly the most popular investment vehicle that exists in the United States. Now, this is a trend that has been bubbling and brewing for the past 20 years. Here at Edelman Financial Engines, we began to get involved with ETFs back in 2005, back when the ETF marketplace was still relatively new and most investment advisors hadn't been using them. And I've been a champion of ETFs ever since. We've been studying this marketplace for a very long time and made the decision in 05 to begin recommending them for our clients. In fact, my book, The Lies About Money, which was published, I think, back in 2007, describes in detail why we decided to make the shift in in focus and emphasis from actively managed mutual funds to exchange-traded funds. Well, these days, we're not alone. This is the trend that a lot of people have adopted. In fact, in this very same year, when investors have added $500 billion to ETFs, investors have withdrawn $200 billion from stock mutual funds. Clearly, investors are voting with their feet. They're voting with their wallet. They recognize that they would rather own ETFs than mutual funds. Uh, And when you take a look at the ETF industry, there are three major companies that have the lion's share of all of these assets. And you're familiar with these names, I'm sure. BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street. These are the three largest money managers in the world, and it's no surprise that they've been leaders in the ETF space, and they not only dominate the ETF marketplace, they're beginning to dominate the entire stock market itself. Between those three fund companies, BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street, they own, through their funds, nearly 25% 
of every company in the S&P 500. That's a rather astonishing statistic. Now, when I say that they own, that's that's kind of a misnomer because, you know, they don't really own it. Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, he doesn't own the shares of those stocks. It's that the ETFs of BlackRock, along with Vanguard and State Street, have so much money in them that those ETFs are buying the shares of the S&P 500. You're the shareholder of those ETFs, and so they're buying them on your behalf. But it's really rather shocking because they often vote the proxies. A lot of investors delegate to these big companies the ability for them to vote for key management decisions, such as who's going to be on the board and who are we going to select as the auditor uh, and other key corporate decisions. So it's rather astonishing that three companies representing 25% of the entire S&P. And, and the trend is continuing. In the month of June alone, that's the last month we've got data for, Individual investors put $28 billion into stock funds and stock ETFs just in the month of June alone. That's a record. So no surprise that the stock market hit an all-time high. I mean, when you have so many people buying, well, the prices are going to go up due to demand. So one of the questions I want to ask you is, what are the stocks you're buying or what are the funds that you're buying? You do need to be careful. Uh, perhaps you've heard of a company called Hometown International. Its stock, it's a publicly traded company, and its stock is valued at $100 million. Sales are up 50% in the first quarter alone. Wow, that no wonder I'm talking about it. No wonder people have heard about it. This is a company that seems to be doing just dandy. But um, we need to look a little deeper here. I've talked about Hometown International on the show in past months, but it's worth revisiting because of this new news that their sales are up 50% in the first three months of this year. Their total sales, I mean, if I were to say to you, wow, their sales are up 50%, the stock's valued at $100 million. So what is the total amount of sales? How much are they actually generating in revenue? If the stock's valued at $100 million, well, you might be surprised when I tell you that the sales of this company, the total revenue they've earned in the first three months of this year, $5,300. <laughs> yeah, 5300 bucks. How could that be? How could a company valued at $100 million have total revenue of $5,300? I'm, I'm not talking total profits. I'm talking revenue. Hometown International is a delicatessen in New Jersey. And it is shocking that this tiny little deli has decided to trade publicly on the public stock market and that people are buying the shares in such astonishing quantity. It's worth noting that CNBC has reported that people linked to the company have criminal histories and regulatory records. So uh, <clears throat> you might want to... Uh, be a little careful about the stocks that you're buying and why we regard this as one yet additional reason why you need to be invested in funds of stocks rather than stocks themselves. Because when you invest in funds, you get diversification. Instead of putting your 
money into a single stock, you put it into a single stock fund, which gives you access to hundreds, even thousands of stocks. And that diversification provides a level of safety you otherwise don't have. Let me uh, shift the conversation over to a survey that was just released this week in the world of investing. This survey issued by an online outfit called Magnify Money. They asked investors about their investment attitudes and behaviors, and the statistics were shocking. We'll see how many of these you personally relate to. 66% of investors surveyed admit that they have made impulsive or emotionally charged investing decisions that they have later regretted. Does that describe you? Two out of three investors say that they regret decisions they made hastily, emotionally charged or impulsively. 32% say that they have traded while drunk. I want one bourbon, one scotch, one beer, one bourbon, one scotch, one beer. Those who manage their own portfolios have a harder time keeping their emotions out of investing than those who have a financial advisor, according to this research. And we fully agree. We have learned this ourselves over decades of serving individual clients that we uh, find an agreement with this from the behaviors our own clients uh, suggest to us that when it's your money, you're emotionally involved because you're fearful you'll lose it or you're hoping you'll double it. And that could cause you to act emotionally instead of intellectually. By using an advisor, someone who is disinterested, not uninterested, but disinterested, we take the emotion out of it and we can help error check your thinking to help you make sure that the decisions you're making are genuinely in your best interest. According to Magnify Money's research, those who manage their own investments have higher rates of lost sleep and regrettable decisions. 37% say they've lost sleep worrying about the stock market. 30% have cried over investing decisions. And that is beyond all else what we hope to alleviate our clients from the lost sleep, the staring at the ceiling at midnight and, and having fears and worries and, and being upset about it. And that is a real key element that you need to be focusing on. And related to that, I want to ask you a question. What are the costs you're paying when dealing with a financial advisor? We're going to tackle that question and also talk about what's going on in the world of insurance and who are the worst financial advisors in America. All that and more when we return here on The Rick Edelman Show. So stay with us. 888-PLAN-RICK-RICK-EDELMAN.COM The author of the number one national bestseller, The Truth About Retirement Plans and IRAs, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. back to the Rick Edelman Show. We've been talking about the world of investing and the fact that there are uh, some exciting things going on, an incredible infusion and level of interest by investors into ETFs, and also some crazy stock stories out there like Hometown International, a company with $5,000 of revenue, 
but a hundred million dollar stock value that 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 just you know is a non sequitur makes no sense. So I, I pose the question to you uh, about what is the fee that you're paying to your financial advisor? Well, this is a new survey from State Street. So let me pose the question to you. Let's say that you've hired a financial advisor and your advisor, if your advisor is like most, is recommending to you a variety of mutual funds and ETFs to build a diversified portfolio. As you know, you're paying your advisor a fee for their services. And as you know, uh, those mutual funds, those ETFs also have a fee. So let me ask you this question. Is the funds fee included in the advisor's fee? So yes or no? The answer is no, it's not. For example, the typical mutual fund in this country charges half of a percent per year as its annual fee. It's called the annual expense ratio. They debit that on a daily basis throughout the course of the year. It adds up to about one half of one percent per year. Financial advisors, let's say that your advisor is charging 1.5% per year. Your total cost is 2%. The answer is no, it's not. For example, the typical mutual fund in this country charges half of a percent per year as its annual fee. It's called the annual expense ratio. They debit that on a daily basis throughout the course of the year. It adds up to about one half of 1% per year. Financial advisors, let's say that your advisor is charging 1.5% per year. Your total cost is 2%. It's not just the one and a half. In other words, the advisor's fee is in addition to the fund's fee. It's not included. You're not avoiding the fund's fees by using an advisor. You know, it's kind of the same thing as going to a restaurant with a waiter. You know, you're going to pay the waiter in addition to paying the restaurant for the food. You don't, by paying the waiter, avoid the cost of the food. And it's the same thing. The advisor is providing you a service. And you're still buying the product, uh, which is the investment itself. So you need to understand this. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because in the State Street survey, 60% of investors, and in fact, 71% of millennials believe that they don't pay the mutual funds charges on top of their advisor's charges. They think that it's embedded all in one. Way wrong answer! So you need to understand how it works. This is why we have stressed so often here on the program the importance for you to understand compensation when dealing in the financial services industry. There's a key question that you have to ask. We've produced an entire webinar. Uh, The questions you need to ask Your financial advisor, this is either your existing financial advisor or financial advisors that you're thinking of going and uh, hiring when you're interviewing advisors. You need to ask this question and you need to phrase the question very, very carefully. Don't say to your advisor, how much do you charge? Don't ask your advisor, what's your fee? Because your advisor will answer the question. If the advisor's fee is 1.5%, that's what they're going to say. Oh, my fee is 1.5%. You asked, I answered. That's the wrong question. The question you need to ask is the following. If I were to hire you, what is the total expense I will incur? That encompasses everything. That includes the advisor's fee 
as well as any other expenses, such as the fees of those mutual funds or ETFs. For example, the fees that you might pay to lawyers for drafting wills and trusts and other estate planning documents, uh, the cost of, of getting a mortgage if you go to a mortgage broker, uh, the cost of insurance if you buy insurance policies, what have you. I want to know what are the total costs I'm going to pay. Your fee is one thing, and I certainly do want to know your compensation, but I also want to know all in, what am I going to pay for this? Because as we all know, this is you know rampant in every industry, and you see this all the time where they say, oh yeah, the, the price of this ticket when you uh, buy it to go to a concert is 50 bucks. Uh, oh, but by the way, there's a $12 ticket fee, and oh, by the way, there's a $6 fulfillment fee, and there's a $3, you know, and they just keep adding it on and on and on. Airlines do this notoriously. Oh, yeah, the cost of your seat is 100 bucks. Oh, but it's 25 bucks a bag, and it's 30 bucks for peanuts, and on and on and on. So you want to know, all in, what's it going to cost? And honorable, ethical advisors, which I will hasten to add are the vast majority of advisors, will tell you. In fact, they will even tell you without you even prompting them to tell you. They will disclose all of it to you up front and in writing. If your advisor hems and haws, if they obfuscate, if they try to evade, well, now you simply know you need to go get a different advisor. It's it's really that simple. It all comes down to dealing with somebody honorably and ethically and avoiding the scam artists that exist in the marketplace. There's a, a guy who was just nailed by FINRA, uh, this guy is named Mark Rita. He's been a broker for 21 years. And according to FINRA, within those 21 years, he has been with 15 different firms, three of which have been shut down by regulators. The guy's got 19 disclosures on his uh, brokerage record. Uh, he's currently with a company called Spartan Capital Securities, and FINRA now says he's been engaging in an unsuitable trading strategy that generated high commissions that made it unlikely his customers would make any money. Uh, they say he charged 66 customers over $950,000. And guess what? His customers lost $935,000. Well, it's pretty easy to check out your broker or financial advisor. You go to FINRA uh, or you go to the SEC. They both have online databases for free where you can search your advisor's name or your advisor's firm's name and quickly see their regulatory record. And if I see somebody who's been with 15 firms in 21 years and has 19 disclosures Frankly, in a 21-year record, you ought to have one, maybe two or three firms that you've been with. Oh, my goodness gracious. But that's nothing uh, compared to the 10 worst financial advisors in America, according to a new survey. Nathan Katz comes in at number 10, barred from the industry for allegedly forging client signatures. Number nine, William Dixon, a broker with Securities America, terminated for allegedly signing his dead client's name to multiple documents. Tyler Rigsby, a Wells Fargo broker, allegedly stole client funds. Scott Anderson, a New York life broker, allegedly stole $26,000 from an elderly client after persuading her to write checks to him personally. John Swan IV, a former broker at Royal Alliance, allegedly stole $110,000 from a client. Peter Quartorano and Paul Casella, ex-brokers with Milestone, arraigned on charges they stole over four hundred grand from four investors. They face up to 15 years in prison. Joseph Whitney, charged by the Organized Crime Bureau of New Jersey with conspiring to defraud clients of $500,000, 
Edgar Rajabi, a former dentist who has agreed to pay a $600,000 fine for unregistered activities. Scott Madelon, fired for allegedly beating a woman and holding her against her will in his home. And the worst of all, Gregory Estes, a Texas broker who has been a registered sex offender since 2002, has now been charged with child sex assault and indecent assault of an adult. Yeah, you definitely want to check out your advisor before you hire them. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Truth About Money. I'd like to bring you the latest and greatest in the field of exponential technologies. You know, one of the things that separates us from other species around the world, our opposable thumbs. It distinguishes us. But why do we have only one thumb on each hand? Why don't we have two? Well, we're about to. Researchers at the University College in London have used a 3D printer to create a robotic third thumb. They attached it to a person's hand below the pinky, so thumbs on both sides of your hand. And they found that the brain adapted easily to it. 20 subjects learned how to use their new thumb in just five days. They could pick up multiple balls or multiple wine glasses with just one hand. We no longer need two-fisted drinking. We can have one-fisted drinking with two drinks all at the same time. Someone has to explain to me how this is good. Stay with us for more here on The Rick Edelman Show. Triple A Plan Rick. My colleagues here at Edelman Financial Engines ready to take your phone call and get you the answers to the questions you've got about anything involving a dollar sign. Triple A Plan Rick. Online at rickedelman.com. free articles on personal finance sign up for rick's email update at rickedelman.com let's take a phone call here on the rick edelman show and talk with carol she's in clinton township michigan hi carol how are you hi i'm real good thank you what can I do for you today? Well, I'm calling about now in Michigan, we have something called a special needs trust. Mm-hmm. I'm 73 years old, and my adult son is over 50. And um, like a lot of people, he's dependent on his Medicaid. Mm-hmm. And his only source of income is his Social Security disability. Mm-hmm. So I understand that these special needs trusts are supposed to protect him if he inherited something from me or his grandmother or somebody. It's supposed to protect that so that he didn't wouldn't lose his other benefits? Correct. What are the pros and the cons of this special needs trust? Is this something I should do? It is probably something you should do. Uh, certainly consider very seriously. Uh, tell me, does your son live independently? Fortunately, he's a veteran. He does not qualify for the veterans' benefits, mm-hmm. but he's able to live in one of our veterans' care homes. Got it. Okay. So, which is wonderful because they provide all his needs mm-hmm. and oversight mm-hmm. and his medicine, but they depend on his Medicaid right. for his care and his medications. Right. Is your son able to manage financial affairs? Not really. Okay, so we would need somebody to to handle his money on his behalf. 
Yes, and his brother um, is an attorney and trustworthy and would do all that. Got it. Okay, so based on what you're describing, yes, a special needs trust is really designed for your circumstances. And you you summarized it very nicely, but for folks listening uh, who may not be as familiar, let me uh, describe this. Having a special needs member of the family is incredibly common. One in nine U.S. households have a special needs child or family member in their household. One out of nine. That's over 10% of U.S. households. It is very, very common. The state and federal governments provide support, financial support, for special needs individuals. But there are criteria. They only provide financial support to those who need the money, uh, meaning if you have significant assets or income, you're not going to qualify for the federal or state support systems. And uh, a great many of these individuals don't have any income or assets by virtue of their disability or their uh, uh, health condition. And therefore, they qualify for payments under Medicaid. When their parent or other family member uh, dies, they often leave those uh, children uh, an inheritance. But giving them an inheritance means they now have assets. And because they now have assets, they're no longer eligible for the Medicaid payments they were getting or other social service support that they were receiving from the government. So you don't want to give them any money. But on the other hand, you don't want to not give them money because the money they're getting from the government is you know, a minimum, and you would like them to have additional resources should they need it or be able to take advantage of it. This is where a special needs trust comes into play. The money gets placed, your inheritance, instead of giving it to the child directly, you put it into a trust. The child is the beneficiary of the trust, and the rules of the trust are such that the money can only be distributed to the child provided it doesn't interfere with the money they're getting from the social service systems from the state or federal government. So it is deliberately intended to complement and support the government's payments, not to interfere or eliminate them. Uh, So you need a trustee. It sounds like your uh, other son, uh, the attorney, would be able to serve as the trustee. And the special needs child is the beneficiary of the account. And it's that simple. So uh, these trusts are available all over the country. They are under federal tax law uh, recognized. And you should talk with an estate attorney uh, or a family law attorney about the concept of a special needs trust. They can assist you in drafting them. They can assist you in uh, helping to administer and manage uh, the trust for those who don't have someone in the family who could serve as trustee, for example. But it is a very common financial planning tool for families who have a special needs member of the household. It sounds great, and it doesn't sound like there's really any big drawback to it. Considering the alternatives, no, we think this is definitely uh, an effective approach. These things have been around for decades. They're not controversial. They're not uh, critiqued uh, intently by the government. They are routine. And it is something that anybody who has a family member with special needs should seriously consider. Okay. Thank you very much. It really uh, eases my mind. We're going to go do it. Carol, thank you so much for the phone call. And I wish you and your family the very best. All right. Thank you. That was Carol in Clinton Township, Michigan, here on The Rick Edelman Show. 888-PLAN-RICK. 
Got a question for me, but can't call to have a conversation? Send me your question. Just record your voice on your smartphone. Send me the audio file to askrick at rickedelman.com. Ryan did that. Here's his question. Hi, Rick. This is Ryan from upstate New York. I'm trying to figure out the best thing to do with my money. Hoping you can help me out here. My wife and I sold our house in January and have around $150,000 sitting in our savings account, earning next to nothing in interest. We'd like to put enough money down on a new house to avoid PMI, which is roughly eighty dollars to $100,000. Finding a house in this market has been very hard, and it looks like we're going to be at it for a while before we do. I'm toying with the idea of paying off a couple of debts, but not sure if we should do that or try to put as much money down on the house. I owe $23,000 on a car loan at 3.39%. That costs me $450 a month. My wife owes 14000 on a private student loan at around 4.5%. That costs us $150 a month. And she also owes around 75000 on a federal student loan that we aren't making payments on, and it's interest-free until September. How should I redeploy the money in my savings? I'm so torn on what to do here. Thanks. Well, Ryan, you haven't mentioned how much money you have in cash reserves, nor have you mentioned how much money you have in savings and investments. Your, your conversation is focused exclusively on credit and debt. And I'm going to take that to mean you don't have a whole lot in savings and investments uh, or cash reserves. Uh, so I am not a fan of you taking all of the proceeds from your house and redeploying it in a manner in which you once again have no savings or investments or cash reserves. So I would encourage you to proceed with making enough of a down payment on your new home to eliminate private mortgage insurance. That's a good thing to do. I agree with you. That typically translates to a 20% down payment on the house. The rest of the money, which you said is only going to take 80 to 100 grand, that's going to leave you with 50 to 70 grand left over. There is no reason for you to pay off those car loans or student loans because those interest rates are so low. Uh, I believe that you know if you're dealing with a 10 or 20 year student loan that you can invest the money for 10 or 20 years. And I would believe over a 10 or 20 year period, you're going to earn at least as much as what those loans are costing you. And I would bet probably more. So why would you pay off a, a 4% debt when you can invest the money for 5%, let alone 6, 7, 8, or 9%? So I don't see the point of paying off the debt. And what I want you to do is shift your mentality from a focus of credit and debt to a focus of investments and wealth creation. Because debt doesn't matter if you have wealth. Debt becomes merely a tool to help you create wealth. So I would encourage you and your wife to meet with a financial advisor who can look at your situation comprehensively because life isn't merely about getting to break even. It's not merely about paying off debts. It's about accumulating wealth. And that isn't where your head is focused at the moment. And that's where I want to redirect your attention. So meet with a financial advisor, show them all of your numbers like you shared with me, and let's create a plan for your goals, not only buying a house, but building wealth for your future. Stay with us here on The Rick Edelman Show. You're listening to The Truth About Money, 888-PLAN-RICK, online at ricedelman.com. doesn't come with instructions more of your questions coming up on the rick edelman show
Welcome back to the Rick Edelman Show. Uh, Gene and I, as you know, are very active in a variety of philanthropic and charitable activities. Gene serves on the board of the Northern Virginia Therapeutic Riding Program, and I'm very happy to welcome onto the show Kelsey Gallagher, who is the executive director of NVTRP. Kelsey began as a volunteer with the riding program back in 2001. She's a certified therapeutic riding instructor and is now the head of the organization. Kelsey, thanks for joining us on the program. Thank you so much for having me. So there's news that you'd like to share, a big announcement that was made this week uh, over at the therapeutic riding program. Tell us about it. Uh, We have very exciting news. We are opening the Gene Edelman Indoor Riding Arena. So uh, it is a project many years in the making, and this will be huge for our organization to be able to offer our services year-round, not worrying about the weather, and have more space to do what we do. It's a big honor. Jean is thrilled to death uh, that the indoor arena is named in her honor. Tell us more about what the Northern Virginia Therapeutic Riding Program does, because it's got two elements that are fundamental. And I'm not sure, I, I'd certainly say this speaking for me, when Jean first introduced me to your program many years ago, uh, when we talk about riding, we're talking about horses. And I would not normally associate the word horses with therapy. So talk about what it is you do. Yeah. So if you haven't heard of therapeutic riding before, it's a new idea that um, has been around, you know, since the early 1980s in our country. And essentially, we are helping individuals reach their highest potential through riding and working with horses. The populations that we serve are children and adults with disabilities, youth from marginalized communities, and recovering military service personnel. Uh, So to your point, like, why horses? What does that do? So for each of those populations, horses can do different things, but um, for a lot of them, it is building strength, balance, coordination, and a lot of it is self-confidence, too. So for an individual with a disability, for example, a little boy in a wheelchair, he can get on a horse, be taller than everyone else, controlling where he's going, and while he's doing that, he's gaining strength balance and having a great time. So with all those different populations, it does different things like our military. For them, horses really help bring them a sense of peace and self-awareness, but horses are, are really therapeutic for everyone. And how many horses are there in your program? Yeah, so we've uh, we've recently added two to the herd. So now our herd is at 20 horses, and we've got a lot of different personalities, a lot of different sizes and movements. So because of that physical aspect of what horses can do for the human body, those different movements can help achieve different things. So we're very fortunate to have 20 special horses who are, are so good at their job. And how many people does it take to take care of all these animals? Great question. So when we're in full force and, you know, not in COVID time, we usually have um, up to 200 volunteers that are helping make that happen. We have a small staff of certified instructors and a staff um, in the office who help it all happen also. But a lot of our uh, riders need up to three volunteers to be able to ride, one person leading the horse and two people walking beside them. So it really, it takes a village to make it happen, but we are so fortunate to have a, a wonderful community. And how many people are you serving? 
Yeah, so in, again, in full force, when we're, we're, and we're almost back up to our pre-COVID numbers, um, we have uh, around 120 uh, clients a week that we're serving. And then with the Nina Edelman Arena, we'll be able to increase those numbers, which we're so excited about because typically our waiting list is one to two long. When somebody contacts us, it usually takes about that long for a slot to open up. So that is one reason that we are so grateful to have this new facility so that we can serve more people. Because uh, up until now, you've been limited to outdoor activities, and that means you've been subject to the weather. Exactly. So when it rains or in the winter, we really are limited by what we can do. And then also the new arena provides more ring space. So it's large enough that we can have two lessons going on at a time. So it also gives us the additional space, too. Well, Gene is just so thoroughly thrilled to be part of the organization, and, and we're just very excited that after a, a very long effort, the arena is now open and available for use uh, for you and all those that you're serving. I'm assuming that therapeutic writing programs are available throughout the country at this point. If somebody wants to learn about the availability of this in their community, how would they go about doing that? Yeah, great point. Um, it is such a great service, and there are there's hundreds of organizations across the country. So, my recommendation is to go with a PATH accredited center. So that that's our uh, international accrediting body. If you simply Google PATH International, that's P A T H PATH International, you will discover the Professional Association of Therapeutic Horsemanship International. So if you want to see if there's a therapeutic writing program near you, that's a great way to go about doing that. Kelsey, it's just been uh, really exciting to chat with you. Jean is thrilled that the arena is open. If somebody wants to find uh, your organization, uh, how would they contact you at the Northern Virginia Therapeutic Writing Program? Yeah, so the best way is to look at our website, which is the acronym for our name. So it's www.nvtrp.org. And we'll have a link as well at our website at the Rick Edelman Show, so folks can find you there as well. Kelsey, thanks so much for joining us on the program today. Thank you, Rick. Appreciate it. That was Kelsey Gallagher, the executive director of the Northern Virginia Therapeutic Writing Program. So the funny thing is, Jean's on her way. So Jean didn't hear that interview that I just did with Kelsey Gallagher. Didn't hear that. Uh, Not yet, anyway. Uh, Well, here she is, walking right into the studio as we speak. Time now for everyone's favorite segment of the program, a visit by my wife, Jean Edelman. So Jean, you don't know who I just talked to on the air. No, who'd you talk to? Kelsey Gallagher at NVTRP. Uh, I love Kelsey. So Kelsey just announced to everybody that they have just premiered the Gene Edelman Indoor Riding Arena. I know. I got that word last week. It's very, very exciting. They finally got our permits. Well, we had to train the horses uh, before we were truly up and running. We trained them to do what? Not to be scared about being in the arena because it's a different environment. We have lifts, we have fans, lighting, you know, it's all different. And so our horses are our best friends over there, and we just needed to give them some time to get acclimated. So talk about why you're so excited about this organization and the notion of uh, using horses for therapy. So horses are tremendous mirrors to us. I was lucky enough to be introduced in my adult life at 45 to an amazing horse. And this horse taught me a lot. He taught me when I was stressed out, he would 
flipped me off his back. He taught me how to be in the moment and to focus. And so with that introduction over 17 years ago, I kind of always sought out how horses are helping people heal and be better versions of themselves. And so uh, right here in our own neighborhood in Northern Virginia, in Clifton, Virginia, there's Northern Virginia Therapeutic Riding. And so for 40 years, they have been using horses to help those with disabilities, our military riders, at-risk youth, just help them process life and be happier. And I've actually had a chance to meet some of the parents and grandparents. And I'll tell you what, one hour with one of our magical horses at any therapeutic riding program, but this one in Northern Virginia, it changes their week. They're confident. They're happy. And I always talk about happy, happy, happy. And it just exudes through them. It exudes through their family. If you have a child with special needs, you know that you just want them to be happy and have joy. And this one hour on this very special animal is just, it's magical. And so, um, yeah, it fills my heart to be a part of this project. And it fills my heart of all the families that are now going to be able to ride year-round and the difference it's going to make in their lives. So, yeah, it's a big thing. I'm so happy you had Kelsey on the air to share. Thanks. If you're ever in Clifton, Virginia, stop by and uh, check out the program and check out the arena. And if you're not in Virginia, there's therapeutic riding programs all throughout the country. In fact, what brought this onto my radar is we have a a niece in Colorado that special needs, and she was a part of a program, and I saw firsthand how it changed my family's life. So, um, yeah, check it out. Therapeutic riding all over the United States. Good thing to support. Thanks. That's my wife, Jean, benefactor of the Jean Edelman Indoor Riding Arena at Northern Virginia's Therapeutic Riding Program here on The Rick Edelman Show. Thank you for joining us on the program today. There's a lot more to the Rick Edelman Show this week. Our full podcast online is filled with additional news and stories, including the latest on Bitcoin, digital assets, and NFTs. All that and more on this week's podcast at rickedelman.com. If you need anything in the field of personal finances, call us at 888-PLAN-RICK or online at ricestellman.com. See you next week. The truth about money every weekend on the Rick Edelman Show.